0: Not the pre-show. You ready? Yeah.
1: Welcome to Systems Live. Oops. <laughs> that's um, fine two. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine, just keep going.
0: So, uh, so I'm Jeff, Lindsay, and... And I'm Timothy Fitz. So we're back from... Uh,
1: two and a half, three month hiatus. Well, you know few things changed a few things happened
0: yeah a lot's changed a lot
1: a lot but we won't, really we won't get into that or maybe later in the podcast maybe. Mm-hmm. maybe at the end we'll do a little bit of uh what happened so uh this
0: morning we were trying to figure out what to talk about
1: i mean more we were trying to figure out what not to. we have so much to talk about oh, yeah. it's like how yeah, do big we big list how do we cut it down and what fits together
0: well there's all these topics around auto well actually it came up we were talking about
1: basic income.
0: Yeah, we did we one that one episode about basic income. Well, we, I posted something on my Facebook uh, and they used the term guaranteed income. Yes. But there was this whole long discussion on this Facebook post and it led to uh, this idea that I had a long time ago, which was uh, about trying, try, trying to build these kind of lean uh, low overhead nonprofits to do uh, government public services, like as an alternative, um, because I was really into this idea of trying to better use the civic sector, like nonprofit sector, as an alternative to government public services.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of problems with the government. It's slow to adopt technology. It's slow to change. Getting it to change means getting everyone to agree that your way is definitely better, and then getting it to move through the political machine. That's that's terrible. Right. It's way too much overhead. So. Well, everybody it seems like everybody's like, well,
0: it's public versus private. Right, but there's a, there's a third like possibility which nobody ever talks about. Um and I think people kind of I don't know, it seems like nonprofits maybe have too much of a reputation for like not being effective or like being these big NGOs that are too so removed from Well, there's like, this idea that they're or, charity. Um, that, yeah, it's, yeah. that it's that like, it's like it's a place your money ones, yeah. goes and then it, it, They're either
1: very local
0: or very global.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and they're they're very much about like I feel better because I support a cause. They're not really like here's here's a new future I want to live in.
0: Yeah, I I think there should be more sort of startup nonprofits.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean like like the the couple nonprofits that Y Combinator has funded like Watsi have been pretty interesting. So those are new.
0: That's pretty recent, right?
1: That's very recent. I think that was only a couple batches ago that like Watsi's like 2013, I want to say. Like maybe summer 2013. Um, What's the other one? They, did, they just did one, but I don't remember what it is.
0: Does anybody know what the second non-profit is that White Combinator funded?
1: Um, but there's, those are still a little bit like, this is a charity. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, like, like, these aren't charities, these are public benefits. The, mm-hmm. And then, like, it's almost like this idea that the, these are things the government will adopt. And then this is a subset of people who have agreed to live in that future ahead of time, even though it may not be like with with the uh, guaranteed income or basic income. Like for us, we would be strictly losing money. But Zadisha, but Does we don't really. Cool? Oh yeah, Zadisha. I don't. I don't know a whole lot about them, but I did see that they got funded. Um. Yeah. So it's like it's not that I see it as charity. I see it as a future, and I see it as a social structure that's like mutually beneficial to everyone. Yeah. As opposed to, like, me being kind with my money or some other altruistic bullshit capitalist idea of charity. So
0: the idea in the original Facebook thread about this stuff was that, um, because we were talking about, like, trial, you know, because it's, like, so much uh, work to political, you know, convince people to actually do something like this and actually try and get either local or or federal, you know, any any government to try and... Try something new like this. You have so much process, right? When you can just start a nonprofit and try it. And uh, that means that you can actually try it across you know, states or cities or anything and, and just try and um, prove it. And, and the thing is, I think you can, if you approach nonprofits the way I wish people approach nonprofits, you can do it um, very efficiently. And it becomes like this sort of engine that can, you know, if it proves itself, if it validates, that the government can adopt and actually just... Um, use that if people, you know, convince and, and make it make it happen.
1: So before we get too deep into auto sustainables, you actually have started a nonprofit.
0: Yeah, Hacker Dojo is a nonprofit.
1: Um, so you ha- you have personal experience here, and Hacker Dojo was run with this idea of automation as like a core belief, and you think that makes it a fundamentally different nonprofit from others.
0: Yeah, I don't. You know, so many nonprofits are are built with like this. Uh, they're very people oriented, right? for a lot of reasons. But with that usually comes large staff and you know whatever bureaucracy and politics and you have all these people. Actually this parallels a lot of my ideas of auto sustainable uh, web services because because you have a a big staff, you need a lot of money and that means you have to get a lot of fundraisers and a lot of fundraisers means a lot of politics usually. So there you know, you're getting money from various places. And, with strings um, attached. Yeah, with strings attached. And so, if you can eliminate the staff as much as possible, you can eliminate a lot of that funding. You can have a, re- a really efficient, um, you know, ideally mostly automated system for providing whatever service it is that you provide. Um, and and granted, like so many actual public services do require like people and they're very hands on. But even those, you can really like automate. Um, you know, for example, the coordination. If you figure out what process works, you can build the tools. And then just have volunteers um, use those self-service tools, and so that gets us back to like what ha- how Hacker Dojo works, which was we tried to build as many self serve systems as possible to, for example, let people sign up, to let people uh, host host events, to um, uh, various things in the in the community, like t- talk about what's going on, or um,
1: well, I mean, to give you like a, a concrete example, like. I've never I've, I've worked at a bunch of places where you have to get a, a key mm-hmm. to get in. it's always this like oh, see this guy, see this other person, see the IT support, she'll make it for you, but then you have to go see someone else to get whichever doors and credentialed and it's this huge bureaucracy. And then at the dojo to contrast it like you walk in. there's a terminal, you log in with your username and your password. you grab a fob from a from a big jar of them. You swipe it on the computer, and you are now, that's your key. Like, totally self-serve.
0: What? Yeah, you, you sign up, you pay, you pay online, and then it tells you how to how to create a fob for yourself. Um, so, yeah, totally self-serve, which means, so Hacker Dojo, by the way, is considered one of the largest hackerspaces in the country. Um, it's recently between 350 and 400 um, paying members. And, and you know thousands of people come through because it, every month because it's a, uh, you know, an open space, people use it as a co-working space, um, a community space, an event space. Uh, a lot of things it's got a, like an electronics lab, so it's got more traditional hacker space vibe to it as parts of it. Um, so it, we did all this and it's only like five years old. Uh, in the first two to three years, it had no paid staff. And that was due to the self-serve systems and lots of volunteers. Definitely, like the members actually were really involved uh, in making the place happen. And there was a lot of like on-site stuff that you have to do, but uh, so much of the administration that you have to deal with, like the business, like charging credit cards, dealing with all that stuff, um, people could do pretty easily because of these uh, online systems using hosted services. And all and, and one of the ideas was when we build these applications, uh, we would put them on. A system in this case, App Engine, uh, which is this whole in this ties back into Flynn. A lot of the reasons why I'm doing a lot of that stuff, or how I got into it, um, because you you can just throw it up there, and you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to you know administer it. You don't have servers you need to manage. I mean, as as much as and there's a little bit of like, oh, so many people were were interested in you know, oh, we've got so much technical expertise, so we could totally run our own servers and, and all this stuff. And I knew that that was, we don't want to do that. We don't want to be in the business of that because as much as these people have that experience, that's not what they should be spending their time on, right?
1: Yeah, totally. I I, um, I run into that problem pretty regularly, which is like, you know, I, just because I can do ops mm-hmm. does not mean that it's the best value of my time. And in fact, like I have to keep saying, like I'm not, I just, I'm not an ops person. It might not even be true, but I have to say it or else I do low value work. Compared to like what I could be doing,
0: right? So, so somebody was asking about the uh, nonprofit automated services. I guess these are some examples: the, the, the Hacker Dojo ones. Um,
1: but the Dojo is like it's it's not really quite there. So yeah, and it's, and, it's rough and, and and these and, are
0: systems that are augmenting. Like it's not like these services actually provide the core services of Hacker Dojo. Um, but a lot of the they're basically augmenting it and 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 allowing us to to run it with super low overhead. Now we do have staff, but we only have I think two or three paid paid staff members.
1: But like even pre Dojo, you were going after this concept. Um, You had like that mail API.
0: Yeah, so that gets us back into actual the the domain of actual auto sustainable services, which are which have nothing to do with nonprofits. But the parallel, you know, the connection I'm trying to make is that well,
1: I mean, um, they could be nonprofits.
0: um, The auto
1: sustainable services
0: could be nonprofits. Yeah, and and the way you approach those services that you're providing could also apply to how you run nonprofits that are non-technology like this. So, so yeah, it started out with building a lot of these little services. Um, mail hooks was one of the first ones, and it was when I was popularizing web hooks. And the first example that I had, which, would, which was really great, was um, trying to make it easy for you to accept incoming email in your apps. Uh, and now, of course, there's things like SendGrid and all these services but back then and there weren't, wasn't a lot of good software, you'd basically have to set up, was it PostFix or, or SendMail or whatever and like configure this archaic configuration to try and get it to pipe uh, raw email into your application Then you have to parse it depending on what platform libraries to parse it. Things have gotten a lot better but uh, back then I was just thinking, well, wouldn't it be really nice if I could just handle incoming email like a form post? And it had these fields to, from, subject, body, body, HTML. And so I built that as a service. It um, was actually one of the first times I used Twisted and started getting into async programming um, was to build this service. And um, it was one of those things that at some point we tried to like monetize it. And but you can see because it's a feature of something like SendGrid so it's an example of how these things that you build are not good for businesses to do as a startup like they don't have enough value to really like almost not even as a as a lifestyle business
1: yeah, so APIs in particular have this problem because there's like um, like down for everyone or just me is a good example of something so small you can't charge for it, mm-hmm. um, but because it's consumer, because you have you have a relationship there, you can put ads on it, mm-hmm. and so you can monetize, and so like it could have sustained itself, um, but because
0: it's- you you actually have a page you can go to, right? But, but APIs, APIs you have you don't that have all. pages that you go to.
1: You got nothing. You have so, no connection. Yeah,
0: platforms and infrastructure that you want to provide as a public utility, you can't. You have no way to monetize it, even to, to pay for its own costs. And so that's something I struggled with for a long time, and there are a bunch of ways that I was trying to think about it and and approach it. Um, and also a lot of really great use cases of, of again, things that people shouldn't be building as companies. Um, I was building a service called Notify.io, which was like a notification Hub service And it was really cool. Um, there's a there's a video of it on YouTube if you search for it. It's on my YouTube channel. Um, it doesn't exist anymore because I kind of, you know, so many other things So came sad. Along, but it's
1: gone. But it was cool.
0: It was cool. And then um, this guy I knew, uh, uh, Jazzy Chat.
1: He, <laughs> Jazzy Chat is his internet he
0: handle. D- he did a Y Combinator startup called Notifo. And it was kind of the same thing, focused a little bit more on mobile push stuff, notifications. push notifications, which I wanted to. As part of the reasons why it was good as a service, um, but then he also had desktop stuff.
1: So we were kind of like competing, and I was a little bit like, "Well, same name, same concept, almost the same time."
0: Yeah, and my uh, this always comes up when I'm trying to like do something, and there's like some bigger idea behind it. It's really frustrating when somebody else is like trying to do it in a different way that I don't think is the right way you know i'm like why don't you just help me um and so my argument was uh this is not good enough this is not valuable enough to sustain as a business
1: when well, you were you were then proven right i was um, proven
0: right by the fact that he eventually gave up right um
1: and then joined twilio and became a co-worker ironically yeah, and, yeah. You know, everything comes together. um
0: own. but uh yeah so i wanted to prove that and i thought he was gonna take take that Validation away from me, but he actually validated it for me. Um, and then there's there's a bunch of other like any any like small service that you've ever used that disappeared, you know, for whatever reason. Um, usually because you run it as a startup, or they think that they can, and then eventually they're like, "Well, this isn't working out," so we kind of we have to shut it down or not support it or whatever. When really from the beginning they should have just open sourced the code and figured out a way to run it uh, in what I call open ops, where it's actually and so this is this is a subset of auto sustainable services. Auto sustainable is in, involves two parts. One is fundraising, and the other is uh, operations model, because those are the the two things to run any service. Uh, it will require some kind of operations and some kind of money to to pay for it. Um, the open ops model is basically a, the idea of run it on something like a platform service. Uh, Heroku app engine and then make that available to the community somehow. So you might, so a really easy example that I'm, I'm trying to do this with a couple of projects is uh, give the maintainers, if you have other maintainers on the project, the open source project on GitHub, give maintainers deploy access to uh, the Heroku. Um, and then what's more is uh, try and make a public Try and, uh, I was trying to build a tool or I've been thinking about building a tool that makes the logs public um, or to some degree so maybe just to the maintainers or maybe to the public so they, so people can actually sort of report more useful information when they say the service isn't working they can actually check the logs and say here's what the logs are saying you know when I try and do this thing and trying to open up operations and fixing you know, kind of service level bugs uh, in an open source way. Um, so that's op- open ops. And uh, things like Flynn and, and all this sort of like platform stuff was really, I got into it because I wanted this, this, this infrastructure for, for, for auto-sustainable services. The other side is the money, because even if you're, if you're on Heroku or you're on App Engine, it still costs something usually, like even if it's a little bit. And the fact that you're not paying for staff means it's super cheap Maybe you're just paying EC for EC2 or whatever. You still need to somebody to to pay that. And if you have it attached to some person, it's like well, for example, recently my credit card expired and Heroku turned off all my services. So if there was uh, an organization or something that was set up to um, handle this for people, and so you just kind of give give this app to it and then they pay for it. So basically, the this service uh, this could be a nonprofit. Um, can then uh, be responsible for paying for the service and give you the tools to do what I'm calling continuous fundraising. Hmm. And so the fundraising, I don't know if you—if I talked to you about this before, but the idea is, uh, so sponsorship, somebody brought up sponsorship, is, is useful. Um, and actually, GitTip actually really changed some of my thinking about this. Um, one, of the, one, of the, uh, one of the services I deployed recently, I created a GitTip account and then I, you know, a friend of mine was like oh, I'll pay for the SSL for this because on Heroku you have to pay for SSL so he just started doing the, the Git tip and then um, and so the money's going into Git tip anybody else could add money to that Git tip and that is basically like my budget for that application um, and it's all going through my, my business account for now but you can imagine that being you know, a third party dedicated to these kinds of services
1: Um so that's interesting um, I've pitched this idea to a couple startups I've had a couple bites I've almost thought about doing it myself although I want someone else to do it for me um, is the idea of a company that so you're a startup you start, you open your doors you're like, hey, give us user data and, and trust us with it and we'll be around and we'll, we'll keep it for you I mean, tons of startups now their whole business is we'll keep data on you and then tell you about it you know, Rescue Time or uh, Heyday is the one of the ones that I actually worked on Um but then what happens if they shut their doors? I mean, they're startups. Like, they know that that's a risk. They, they might lie to you and say that there's no way that they could go out of business, but every startup could go out of business tomorrow. And so what I want as a startup, or as, a, as, a, as a company, run as a nonprofit, um, is a, a, a company that takes money right now from the startup. So they go to launch and they say, okay, we want this service. We're going to sign up for it. We're going to pay them $10,000 a month. And then that service guarantees that they'll have a backup of your personal user data. Mm-hmm. so if the startup goes under they always have it they're just a permanent archive of your personal data so it's like archive.org but for personal data yeah and then when you go to the service they get they get the ability to advertise they get some icon you know like like similar to the lock icon they'll have this like we are going to always exist because we're paying right now into this sustainability fund and you could imagine that that, that same entity could also say you know there could be levels. You know, level one is they keep your data. Level two is at some point the code would transition into open source and then this entity would be a steward of it. So if you if you're like, look, this will exist forever, and if it doesn't, you'll be able, you'll 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 have the keys to the kingdom.
0: So why why have this third party I mean when I think about this problem, and actually somebody listening I think is is involved in a project that's kind of in this space, sort of. Um, when I think about this and I was actually working on this project, when I was hanging out with you once a long time ago, um, what if users could bring their own storage to a service? And so, so for example, uh, I want this this service to use my Dropbox. Uh, as a as a place to store my data. So when the service disappears I still have the data and it's on my terms, it's on a third party. Yep. Um, but I trust and I pay that third party. So one and they password. take care of it. One oh.
1: password does this and I love it. So it, yeah. it stores my all my passwords encrypted in a file, but it knows about Dropbox and it just stores it in Dropbox. Right. And that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: and, and so I'm, then I don't have to trust one password. Yep. Yeah. At all. And I don't have to trust Dropbox because it's encrypted, but then I always have and it means that if Dropbox is down for whatever reason. All of my computers have a relatively recently synced version of it, so I have backups as, as well.
0: Right. So, and and it's kind of, you can't, I mean, you can do this for certain things, but sometimes it's not efficient to have this third-party. But you can imagine some sort of syncing between, you know, the or automatic, like, dumping of your data to your, to your Dropbox or something like that. And that's really simple. Like, the fact that 1Password is already doing this means that it's already, you know, Sort of proven it so that you can do it. Um,
1: And Dropbox's APIs, like they're not that complicated. Yeah. You get basic file system access, anyone could do it. So. Uh, it would be really nice and, so it's one of those things where it's like a, it's a pattern
0: that you could weaponize you know to spread as a, as a meme by creating some sort
1: of that was the most aggressive way of putting that concept you, well, <laughs> weaponize uh, a <laughs> gonna, that's a throwback that's a throwback i to shoot uh, my meme at you guys yeah my meme shotgun
0: that's a throwback to uh, Adam Smith we would always talk about things like weaponizing ideas uh,
1: yeah oh that economist so so funny um, um well, no, so so I love I loved the term that we came up for this idea of, like, you know, host your own um, service, which was software as a service.
0: You mean service as a software?
1: Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, no, instead That's of,
0: different. It's, But it's the same. It's related. I mean, so many of these ideas are related, but, for example, Local Tunnel, which, P.S., if anybody is familiar with it or has heard of it, I don't run it anymore. It's basically <laughs> shut down use ngrok yeah ngrok's amazing uh, a friend of ours why don't you just
1: forward local ton on ngrok
0: uh, I I should but it's open source but (laughs) there's a really funny story somebody tweeted at me saying um, uh, uh, hey you should change the 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 repository to point to ngrok or whatever um, or something and I was like uh, just submit a pull request man and he's like I already did, man, and <laughs> it's been sitting there for whatever, whatever,
1: like two months.
0: Yeah, um, awesome. so sorry about that. So that's the that's the importance of having uh, other maintainers early on.
1: So service local is tunnel is basically
0: a failed project for me. But so when I wanted when I was thinking about things like local tunnel again, I was thinking, well, I don't want to run it as like one a, an alternative approach to doing something that's a public utility run as a service is to say, uh, what if the service was open source and you download it and the service server component of it is something that you could run yourself somewhere but not just like, oh hey, run this on a server somewhere, but actually use uh, Dot .cloud or App Engine or Heroku and yeah. deploy to that transparently so that you don't have to manage it. You don't even think
1: about it. So at one point, like the local tunnel install flow was like git checkout or, or gem install. Gem and install. then like you type local tunnel and the first time it you just do it, works. it just asks you for your Doc .cloud username and password or Heroku no, no, username no, password, no, 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 no.
0: You're thinking about Skypipe.
1: Oh. Local tunnel,
0: I mean, see, that's, that's why the magic of having a central service that's already out there is so great because you don't have to do anything. It just works right. magically. This uh, The one project that I actually tried this in was a, was a project called SkyPipe. It was a tool where you could magically pipe data in and then run the same command somewhere else on different hosts or whatever, multiple hosts, and pipe data out. It was like you had this magic tube that you could, you know, went from machine to machine and, and actually pipe stuff through. And it did this by using this central service. that All it did was reflect to, you know, whatever clients um, are, are, are running. And, and I used it as a way to, to validate this idea of like a- automatically deployed <laughs> platform servers whereas like magically so yeah the, the process was you you download it and then the first time you run it you have to do a setup and you give it in the, in this case it was dot cloud which is kind of like Heroku you give it a dot cloud account and it would deploy the server for you and because it was you could deploy stuff for free but it was in a sandbox it was kind of slow it would like take a little while but I mean, not too long from now, there will be, there will be enough uh, platform services and stuff that it's just it'll be a lot easier and quicker to just deploy something to the cloud um, very quickly, very efficiently. And so it'll be almost as fast as that experience with local tunnel where it's as if it was, this service was already running. So that was another approach was to have everybody run their own server version of it. It doesn't work for everything because there's some things that actually require you to interact with other users. But for a lot of these services and utilities, um, that model works really well.
1: Yeah, and it's all being enabled by this this push for, you know, like containerization. So we're we're going from okay, I can rent a box. Now I can rent a process, or I can rent, you know, App Engine, maybe a pay per request. And as these as these services get faster and cheaper to deploy to, you can easily see a future where, like, oh, I want to use local tunnel. Great, that's two cents. I'm just paying Amazon two cents. It just happens automatically.
0: Yeah. I was actually thinking um, one one idea, because there's so many different ways you can organize and implement these things. One idea, because Docker is actually quite viable now, it didn't exist when I made SkyPipe, and there weren't actually these alternatives. So you could actually create... um, uh, what I could do, actually. I was thinking about this before I joined DigitalOcean, but um, I could create a DigitalOcean image that is basically just Docker. And I know there's actually already a Docker image, but you might need some other stuff on there. Actually, so let's say you run the Docker image on DigitalOcean, pay $5 a month, um, and then you just have these services that assume you have a Docker server running somewhere, public Docker server. And... uh, then it could actually just deploy via Docker um using the HTTP API and everything. Something like that. Something along those lines. So that way it's sort of like you just need to deploy this image somewhere. And you'd pay, whatever, five dollars a month for all you know, right now it'd be like one thing that would be able to deploy to it. But you can imagine so that's a weird thing about these ideas. It's like you, you need a certain amount of, you know, critical mass kinda adoption before some of these things make sense. That's the world I live in, these weird ideas where it like you know you gotta there's like this catch-22 situation
1: can we can we take a sidestep for a second and talk uh, full disclosure how many cloud companies you've worked for or with so doc cloud now docker mm-hmm. you worked on a contract basis with them DigitalOcean. yeah you're
0: working in, with them you're now. in a relationship with them yeah. right now yeah
1: it's, it's complicated yeah. uh heroku did you have a no, so I just... Did you work yeah. out of their offices or uh, something? I would... I don't know. You would hang out there? Yeah. You were groupy. groupie? Yeah. Okay. You were on the tour bus? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Twilio? Yeah. Who, who that, Well, I mean,
0: some of, some of the, some of the uh, uh, OpenStack companies.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. OpenStack. I mean, yeah. NASA. You yeah. Were, you were there. Ground floor.
0: Yeah. That's, that's really about it, though. That's just
1: all of them. I mean, by way of OpenStack, you've... Yeah, had your fingers in a lot of pies. Yeah. So if you recommend a service, odds are there's some sort of financial conflict, but that's okay because there's a financial conflict in everything.
0: Well, no, I mean my, my I, 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 you don't know how to make money, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I, I went, you know, I if I worked at a, a at dot Cloud when I was working with Dot Cloud, I would still use like Keroko. Actually,
1: when I use. <laughs> When you, when I was DigitalOcean, like, just just trolling them.
0: Or? Well, I'm at DigitalOcean where it's like we're we're going to try and do Heroku type things, um, but I'm still I'll still like use Heroku and they're always pissed off. <laughs> uh,
1: where's your where's your loyalty? Where's your patriotism? Uh,
0: you know, I'm I'm a pragmatist. I, I I go like for example, I loved Heroku, and I only use Cloud because it was the only thing that would allow me to open a non-HDP port.
1: Yeah, like, Doc .cloud had a very different idea of what the, the basic primitive was, mm-hmm. and if that lined up better with what you were trying well, to do. Well, that's how, that's, you
0: know, that's that's why Docker came out of Doc .cloud instead of Heroku. I mean,
1: Docker is Doc .cloud, like, the Docker model yeah, is the yeah. .cloud model, but refined. Yeah, yeah. You know, and now, and I love, I love them for open sourcing. Like, they, was, yeah, they, they're actually move.
0: kind of a good, you could almost call them services software, right? They took the Doc .cloud idea and turned it into software.
1: yeah. Uh, I hope they can make money.
0: <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll figure it out. But I mean, regardless, it's open source, and and really the big thing is the container model and just thinking about you know high level application containers and all that stuff. So it's not gonna it's not gonna go away.
1: So we yeah uh, we we stepped to the side. Let's let's bring it back to auto sustainable services. So I don't think like you've given a really good concrete definition of what an auto sustainable
0: is. So uh, I was running a, a service called RequestBin for a while, and. It's, it's a great example of a good... Uh, okay,
1: so RequestBin is a website mm-hmm. that you can make HTTP requests at it. Basically, you get like a paste bin. Yeah, it's so like a pastebin for HTTP requests. And then you make HTTP requests to it. And then if you go to that URL, like you a preview URL, you can see like the specific details of it. So it's a really yeah. easy way to debug HTTP posts and stuff. Yeah, which I
0: made it because of webhooks, but it turned out to be useful for like debugging clients and stuff too. Um,
1: like this would be a command line tool if this were mm-hmm. 1990. Like it's the command line tool of the web.
0: Yeah, and, I, and I've i thought about doing like a command line version of it. That in theory, if you tied it with a, a nice version of local tone, you wouldn't need a request bin. So, like I said, there's so many different configurations of everything. But um, request bin was great because it had, it was very simple. It required very little storage. Like it was all ephemeral; it would all disappear eventually. And so I was running it on Heroku quite happily for for actually I was running it on App Engine for a long time. But when I was running it on App Engine, it never deleted stuff. So eventually I rewrote it. It was originally called Postbin, I rewrote it and put it on on Heroku as Requestbin.
1: Yeah, because I'm pretty sure you put up Postbin. And it was HTTP POST only, and the first yeah. thing everyone asked was, "Can you get yeah. requests?"
0: <laughs> yeah. So obviously, eventually I did that, and then it was it just ran pretty much all the time.
1: But and you had to pay for it out of pocket. Like
0: yes, actually I had to pay for storage. The only thing, because on Heroku you can run a process for free if you run it in a single process, single thread. Um, but you have to pay for storage. So I was actually paying for like some hosted Redis thing. They're way too expensive. Um, and that was it. And uh, eventually what happened was Runscope, which is some ex twilio colleagues went to start a company about API stuff, and they adopted RequestBin, as a community project of theirs, and so they reskinned it and they use it as a way to, to generate leads for for Runscope, which is really a great deal it makes a lot of sense. Um, but before that model, which I'd love to see more companies do, um, before that model, uh, it would have been a great candidate for doing an auto sustainable service because it cost a little bit of money to store storage, but not a lot of money, but enough that basically, like if something went wrong, it would it would be shut down. Um so the, the open Ops part is taken care of it runs on Heroku. I can just share deploy with maintainers. I can maybe open up the logs um, through some web service interface or whatever. Uh, and then uh, then it's down to the uh, um, continuous fundraising and that was this is what I envisioned it was basically it, it's always running. And at the bottom it would say, I can run for so many months or whatever, right? And as soon as it starts getting down to like two or three months, uh, it starts it gets bigger. And when it gets really low, like it's gonna be it's gonna die in a month. That pops to the top and goes into Wikipedia fundraising mode, right? And it tries to get, get some nice money from smiling you. Smiling Jeff it, Face. And 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 if you wanted to spot, like you could you could build in sponsorship models with this so that if you're a company and you put in money, you can say, here's my logo, show that logo at the bottom, that sort of thing. Um, and that money would go directly to an account that was being used to pay for this service. And in this case, like for now, it would be me. But ideally, it would be some third party that would basically just hold this money for this project and then make sure that it's you know, maintaining the budget for it, stuff like that. And uh, and, and this and, was
1: pre Tip that, that yeah. you did that.
0: Well, I never, I never implemented this, but this idea. was, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I never had to because nothing I did was really like cost too much. That it was a big deal. But the thing is, if I started doing a lot of them, which might be my thing, um, it would be too much. Like it'd be too much to handle, it and it'd be better if there was like a system behind it. And I've had this recently happen when my credit card expired, and all my services got shut down um, for a little while. So. So yeah, continuous, fun- and as soon as it's like got enough to to last for a while, the you know top of the page goes away, goes back down to the bottom, and so that means the fundraising is automated, and because it costs so little, it doesn't really require a whole lot. It's not like Wikipedia, which re- where they have to pay for a staff of so many people. Yeah, I mean, most
1: of these like one generous company could like float it without even yeah. caring. Yeah. I mean like $100 a month would cover more than you need for yeah. the thing
0: and so you know you talk about sponsorship models and this is one way you know it, it works perfectly with this uh, you know auto continuous fundraising because you can build the sponsorship into that um, but again like it, I haven't really needed to, to build this yet and of course now there's Tip, and so that also you know you can figure out how that plays into this as well Um But so that's a world where uh, I would love that to exist because it means that if this was sort of common knowledge and there's infrastructure, it means that um, people that love to build stuff don't have to worry about starting a company just to build something useful that they want to exist. They can build it and set it up on this infrastructure and let it go. And they never have to worry about it. As long as it's providing value to somebody, it'll continue running, which is great. Uh, And... It also then, like I was saying at the at the beginning, that that is, it, it could play an example and, and combine with this these ideas from like Hacker Dojo and, and uh, you know self serve tools and stuff like that, play into helping you build nonprofits that do uh, new and interesting things uh, super efficiently.
1: Right. So now bring it back to the idea of guaranteed or basic income. Um, you have a nonprofit that's basically a self-serve basic income yeah people sign up they give them demographics they give them income level and then the service can figure out how many people it can let in and let in all the people who would pay in and let in some of the people who need paid out and then suddenly you have this dynamically scalable system that just divvies up money it's open source and there's no person there. there's no uh you know politics get in the way theoretically it could run with you know like uh, you know, other than credit card fees, almost no uh, loss factor, almost no overhead—very mm-hmm. efficient. Um, if anyway, the
0: government would do this, you know, it would be way less efficient.
1: Yeah, yeah. But right. it's not just like is it efficient or not; it's like is it fair it becomes a property of uh-huh. code that you can judge. It's also very transparent.
0: Then, yeah, yes. exactly. You can actually see what's going on.
1: Right. Yeah. There's sort of this idea that members are owners mm-hmm. um, that that is implemented in a way that you just wouldn't get otherwise.
0: So, yeah. So, basic income is kind of a great example of of potentially not, not only a great sort of service that you could build using sort of these learnings that have not been learned yet from from auto sustainable services, but then also as a way to kind of compete with the government, and uh, at least as a way to to prove and validate an idea, and then provide a, a mechanism, an open, fair, like lightweight mechanism that the government could adopt if they wanted to to do this on, on a larger scale um, so these these are the kind of ideas that are really cool and exciting but uh, you know if I didn't have a, a radio show like this nobody would know
1: radio, radio really isn't it this is radio right we're broadcasting uh, yeah on it's a in metaphor 480 AM my my uh, trash bin is not an
0: actual trash bin <laughs>
1: oh man i watched uh, kids react to uh the walkman
0: walkman i didn't and, see that. i saw the link oh
1: man like they don't know what to call fast forward and reverse they're like calling it next and back mm. which is which is interesting
0: call it fast or reverse
1: <laughs> um yeah because like that no one no one seeks and it, like i mean you click a point on a timeline that's not even an operation you don't even think about it, it doesn't have yeah. a name
0: metaphors man
1: yeah yeah i wonder if we're gonna get rid of the floppy drive icon for save uh that, one's that was one good. of
0: the first conversations that, that's that's always like the canonical conversation for when talking about metaphors and the
1: cloud is now replacing that so yeah. now we have uh, i mean like yeah. you look at like yeah, yeah, the yeah. app store yeah. on the phone yeah. is like probably yeah. the best one yeah disc
0: they know you kids don't even know what that is
1: all right, so I wanted to I wanted to do um, issue a challenge to you live on on this podcast and see how you respond to it. The challenge is, what would an auto sustainable service around education be? Because I know you have a lot of ideas about education. There's a lot of things you see broken that you want to fix. Mm-hmm. So what's your what's your you know ten seconds to think about it? Auto sustainable education service.
0: Well, so either. Either the, it would be auto sustainable in terms of the tools that it provides to people. So imagine, whatever, like Khan Academy or, or something like that, if all those tools were open source and powered auto sustainably. Um, so a platform, maybe. Uh, buffering?
1: Yeah, it looks like uh, we dropped for a split second there. Um, but we're back on now. You may have to re. I mean, if you can hear me, you can hear me. But you may have to reopen the page.
0: Um, let's see. Or see, I I can't think. You know, or it is hundred percent software. Like, um, what is that one that you do like tutorial, like a go online exercise? I mean, there's a lot of them, but what is the one? Um, code schools code academy school, code, code
1: academy code yeah academy. code academy is a startup uh-huh. um abc has another startup uh abc fred wilson personally uh union square has another startup that's doing a really similar thing uh duolingo which is like taking the spammiest uh, zynga gamification and then applying it to learning a new language mm-hmm. and it seems like a similar thing where like they're not really doing that much there's, there's then the question of how do you fund development but,
0: uh, yeah, so it, it kind of comes back to the idea that well, if you really needed to, because there's people going to a page, you could could fund it with ads or something like that, right? So you can kind of do a traditional. It's really all this platform and in- infrastructure stuff that really needs these this kind of interesting alternative uh, model for 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 building them. Um, but. And obviously, something like education, there's clear value. Like, it's very clear what the the value is. And you're like, oh, I'm willing to pay for that. So they make a lot more sense for for businesses. And so it's really, uh, you know, it's really for people that build tools and infrastructure. um, That this works. Which is a minority. Like, everybody, when people think about things, they think about, you know, applications that consumers use. Um, So, Yeah. I don't think I have anything but you know I gave you some examples of how it could work
1: yeah no no I for for literally no time to think about it I thought that was pretty good before we wrap up uh, do you want to just talk a little bit about what we we're doing the last couple of months so much has changed um, you're you're flyn full time now
0: uh well I wouldn't say full time but mostly full time like I have enough to kind of uh, from, I'll round you know, up. to work uh as much as I, as I want to spend my time working and not doing music and stuff like that. So um, so that's, that's a pretty good deal, and that is is working with DigitalOcean. Um, so technically, it's kind of like a sponsorship right now um, just because we were originally going to collaborate on their next-gen platform, but they're sort of not at the right um, time to do that right now. Like, it would uh, just the the time like the logistics the logistics issue there uh, and so at the end of this sponsorship then we'll revisit like working on that together and uh, so yeah full time full time on Flynn which is pretty cool yeah right now I actually work on duplex which is one of the components that was sort of an investment R and D project to get in there
1: and duplex in ten words is
0: duplex is um, sort of the the glue for building service oriented architectures. It's the communications part of it. Like if you on one part on one hand you have like how do you how do you run and operate all these things? And so that's like, you know, running in containers and whatever. But then how do you get them to talk to each other? If you're building service oriented systems, you usually want to standardize on some sort of mechanism so that you don't have to worry about uh, you know, speaking all these different languages. So one answer is HTTP, like we've talked about HTTP everywhere, but that just doesn't work in a lot of cases. And you usually end up almost every large company ends up with an RPC-oriented solution to this. So almost every big service-oriented company I can think of, Google has some protocol buffers RPC, Facebook has like Thrift-based stuff, um, uh, Finagle at, at Twitter. And so it's all RPC when you when you get down to it. So this is basically a modern solution to RPC. Borrowing a lot of ideas from uh, GitHub's RPC and ZeroMQ.
1: So is it is it more ZeroMQ enterprise service bus style, or is it actually still RPC?
0: No, it's still RPC. It's still RPC, and it's not. There's no like service bus. It's not like a central. It's so one of the ideas is it borrows the philosophy of ZeroMQ, which is this thinking about um, just basically brokerless messaging or edge-oriented messaging. So you would rely on something like a centralized service discovery mechanism to find who you want to talk to, um, and then do any of the reliability in the application code um, at the edge where where it knows what's what makes sense for that application. And then you, it's a lot more scalable because you don't have this central system that's very complicated because you need it to be highly available and scalable and solve every problem, right? So uh, that's a, in that way, it borrows a lot of ideas from from ZeroMQ. Including the distribution model, there is no no good RPC system that exists in like every language, which is total doesn't make any sense. Uh, because well, other than like protocol HGP, buffers and NHCP maybe. and stuff yeah. like that, but like in terms of like well, but classic protocol RPC, buffers isn't RPC. Like no, it's, it's just, just a serialization. serialization. Like you can break down RPC into all the layers. Like there's a messaging layer, there's a serialization layer, there's the RPC modeling layer. Um, there's, so there's a lot of layers to it. And uh, this actually leaves the serialization up to you, so you can actually use protocol buffers to with with duplex to actually do your do your stuff. Um, so so yeah, that's duplex. I have a prototype working. It's cool.
1: It's cool. It's on GitHub right now. Yeah. if you want it. Yeah. Um, you got married. I got married. I was in Africa. I was on safari. You saw lions having sex. I. That's that definitely the first thing to talk about. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I saw a lion. I have mean, this YouTube footage of it. In fact. Um. yeah that was crazy and then awesome when I got married to Amanda Wickstead who is awesome she is she's she awesome. working on
0: games right now
1: she is she's working on really cool games and she unfortunately sent an NDA because she's working on like I, I just want to talk about it all the time but mm-hmm. uh, when it comes out I will it's with cool people for cool people for a cool reason
0: are you working on games you're working on a game
1: I am I am actually like so that's that's the other thing is that I'm like slowly in the middle of maybe a career change to game designer um, like indie I don't know I'm just having fun right now um, but like so well, I've I mean, got what I've, would be the alternative consulting Um consulting contracting working at a company so kind of kind of imagine, i mean indy like can mean man so it. many different things different people sure. um like i don't want to say that i'd never take funding i don't want to say that i'd never i see i don't know I, I don't, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, i'm yeah, not worried about that right now yeah. i mean so realistically like i do i'm still doing um consulting and teaching around continuous deployment and i'm still working on automated courseware for that um, and that sort of pays for then my own video game by the way you projects.
0: were responsible for the popularization of continuous deployment
1: coin the term Coined in the fact, term and a blog post and, um, yeah I spoke about but it now nobody says continuous time. deployment no, they talk about delivery. Delivery. the best part about that though is that like so it was a little frustrating when that first happened to see like my term get subverted because it very much was uh, ThoughtWorks um, you know and, and high, like Ward Cunningham like high level ThoughtWorks people um, Jez Humble uh,
0: Ward Cunningham's at ThoughtWorks. I believe so. Yeah, I could, I could have
1: that wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they uh, as a reaction to continuous deployment, said, "No, that's wrong. We can't. We don't want that. You don't actually want to say when you commit, it goes live to production. That's wrong." And so, continuous delivery was the idea that push button goes to production, automated everything else. Mm-hmm. And so, if you read like the continuous delivery book, it's it's like it's just basic build automation. Yeah, it's not. Well, it I mean, even at point.
0: even at Inview, you had like a gatekeeper. Like you still had to hit a button to deploy. You had right? to
1: hit a button, but you if you didn't hit that button in ten minutes, someone else hit it for you. And that that button was there to make sure that a human was at a computer. Well, that's, computer that's how when
0: much. That's how much of the there's like a cultural part to it. It wasn't just software. It wasn't just you know. It was actually this mindset. Right?
1: Yeah, like the, the like continuous deployment though, like logistics of how you get there, like build automation is boring. That's not the interesting part. The interesting part is once you have this system like how do you take a feature that would take Six months to develop and ship it five times a day. How do you break that down into small chunks that are each deliverable? And that's that's what I teach. Like that, that's the whole co- like the whole course is like two hours of everything you thought that was hard is actually really easy, and you're going to do it. And then the rest of it is here's the p- part you didn't realize was hard.
0: Do you talk about service oriented architecture? Because that's usually part I of I How hate, you break it
1: down? I hate service oriented architecture
0: as as a term or in, no in general? no and
1: um, well so what I like so I one of the things that I do is if you're a startup, I'll come in for two months and. Boot camp you into continuous deployment um and I'll, I'll build the infrastructure i'll code your product like i'll live and breathe as an engineer on your team and every startup i've been to literally every single one in the last two years has started as service oriented with yeah. like seven services in five programming languages yeah. and so i'm like okay here here are your two options one is build seven independent deploy pipelines with seven unrelated monitoring tools, seven unrelated, you know, or maybe the same monitoring tool, but seven different sets of probes. Yeah. Like, doing the ops work for an Erlang service and a Go service uh-huh. and a Python service and a PHP, so they're all different. Yeah. So, okay, now you have to be seven times as smart and do seven times as many things. And so the, f- the first thing I recommend almost every company I go into is, okay, let's make this one or two services.
0: You know what? I, I think we should actually have a whole show talking about
1: that. Yeah, man.
0: Because I, I would love to, because I'm sort of pro-
1: Service well, and, and I have right? some caveats. because right. I, I mean, I do too, but... Because, like, uh, the, the right way, so the right way to do service-oriented, because I'm not against service-oriented completely, but the no, right someone way said, is... yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's, it's on the list. Um, I put on the list, fuck SOA. <laughs> uh, maybe that won't be the actual title of the podcast. Um, but, yeah, so... And we so, talk about microservices. Yes, right? yes yeah. okay. which is, so... I, I hate that term okay. as well, Great. but mostly because okay I don't think it's it. real. Yeah. Um, this is, that'll be a good show. Maybe we should just just do another. Let's just roll right into a second podcast, oh, <laughs> a double episode. Um, yeah, yeah. We need to we, we need to have it build up. There's anyway. there's a good good way to do. I feel like we right could it. talk
0: about it at any point and it Yeah, we'll have the energy.
1: Um, okay, I'll shut up. And, no, but really quickly, like one of the good ways is all one language, one deploy pipeline that you you make copies of. But it's all one, and so you only have to build it once and then instantiate it seven times, and then you've dramatically reduced the cost. But you have to set out to do that at the beginning, and the only way you do that is if your dev people understand the ops problems they're creating.
0: Well, I, I have a counterpoint to that. Anyway. Uh, you so, have opinions on this? Yeah.
1: Like that are different from mine? Yeah. Like you disagree with me? Yeah. All right, let's do this. Um, so we'll wrap up,
0: uh, hang around for after show thoughts and discussion.
1: Yeah, and any questions you guys want to ask or suggestions. Um, so our next podcast, we're going to do about a week from now, Sunday the 27th, not Friday. Um, what At time? 2 p.m.
0: 2 p.m. 2 p.m. Central Time. Austin Time. And uh, we'll talk about it. Fuck SOA.
1: Maybe. Maybe we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll just yeah, talk about we'll something tomorrow. different. Yeah. We're not we're not so good at that one. Um, uh, let's see, so we're systemslive.org if you want to listen to back episodes. Um, we're mixler.com slash systemslive. If you uh, sign up and subscribe, you get an email when we broadcast, which is really nice.
0: Yeah, didn't know that. It's very
1: good. <laughs> we found out today. Um, I'm Timothy Fitz on Twitter, your program on program Twitter. Program on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Reach out to us. Questions, topic suggestions feedback we we love to we love to hear from you guys yeah that's it that's it that's it good show done